Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm senior housing news reporter, Nick Andrews. In this episode, I speak with Milo Pinkerton, the chief executive officer of Wisconsin-based Heritage Senior Living. Heritage has 15 communities located in the Northern Midwest. In this episode, Milo and I talk about a return to a focus on margin, the current labor crunch, the future economic outlook, and what's going on in memory care. The unemployment rate is phenomenally low that you have to keep raising and raising and raising to try to find a caregiver. So, of course, it's not all about the dollars, but it is about meeting the market. And we continually raise our offering to, to meet that market. And with that, let's get to the interview. Please welcome Milo Pinkerton. And welcome to the Transform Podcast. I am joined by Milo Pinkerton. He is the CEO of Heritage Senior Living. We are recording this and putting this together right as the third quarter is about to begin. So I just want to start with Milo. How are you doing? Thanks for coming on the show. How's summer going for you? Well, it's the greatest time of the year to be in Minnesota in the summer and Wisconsin as well. So we're enjoying that mosquito-free most of the days. <laughs> It's for as cold it is, as it is in the winter, it's definitely muggy and a little moist in the summer, but it's an enjoyable, it's a, it's a well-kept secret, the northern half of, of Minnesota, Wisconsin, the UP. So uh, I hope you're enjoying it and staying safe and, and had a happy and healthy 4th of July weekend whenever you're listening to this. We brought you on here because we want to talk to you about the state of senior living and also what you guys at Heritage are doing. So let's just start with where Heritage is at. Like I said, it's right before the third quarter. How are leads and move-ins trending, and how do you think the third quarter is going to pan out for Heritage? So at the beginning of the year, I was not uh, too upbeat uh, about the, the, the 2022 year. We've had uh, a resurgence, unfortunately, with some of our properties having a resurgence of the COVID virus, and uh, we do care for a lot of frail uh, residents. We have a high acuity needs that we take care of. So we've had a few of our residents pass away that were already on hospice. Otherwise, you know, fairly good that way. I would look at uh, that we now, I'd say, have a resurgence in the past three months with occupancy. It's great to see. I think that uh, initially I was looking at 2023 as a year to get back to where we were pre-COVID. I would say now we're going to achieve that in 2022. So I'm very upbeat about this year. It seems like there is a lot of pent-up demand and move-ins are coming along as quickly as people can support them. Do you have any challenges to moving people in? Not really. We move people in on weekends. Um, not, not for the move-ins part of this. I, I do think that typically uh, summer has been slow for us. So to see the resurgence that we're seeing uh, at this time uh, is really so the pent-up demand, as you say, uh, post-COVID. Sure. So we wrote a story recently that Heritage has a new chief operating officer, Tammy Schaefer, and you called that in the press release long overdue. So you could talk to me a little bit about Tammy and what about her and this this new uh, promotion, what does it mean for Heritage's future plans? So just to correct you, it's uh, COO, Chief Operating Officer. Operating Officer, yes. Sorry, that's my apologies. I'm CEO, but you know, I'm, I don't know if anybody's planning to replace me. It could happen. But anyways, Tammy has been with us now a um, good two and a half years. She came from Oklahoma and uh, she has really instilled a great uh, culture throughout our properties, brought in an outside consultant that uh, works with our executive team on a, a quarterly basis. And also monthly, we do one-on-ones with our um, executive directors, kind of work them through uh, leadership skill training. And I think that 
that's one thing at the top that she's doing. I think that uh, we've also got a very strong DON. We have five nurses on the corporate level, which I think for the size company we are uh, is really great. We do take a high acuity needs. And I think that um, having the strong nursing staff we do, I think really is a real advantage, I think, in a lot of the families that bring their loved ones to Heritage. Yeah. So we know that she had uh, a lot to do with your early response to the outbreak of COVID and, and, and probably throughout the pandemic. And, and now as things are kind of winding down, hopefully, does she enable you to do anything that you weren't able to do previously to her having or having her on board? No, she, you know, doing during the uh, COVID situation, she really pulled the whole team together, instituting daily calls in the morning uh, that everybody would jump on. She had those with corporate level and those with all the executive directors. And then we also instituted tremendous uh, disinfectants and working at how to keep uh, the virus out of our buildings and then how to keep a resident safe once inside. And again, really worked hand in glove with vendors to try to get all the PPEs uh, that we could get that uh, were hard to find in the pipeline. It was just an amazing job that she did to, to pull the team together. and then. When we uh, had the, the longer stretch where it was uh, burnout that was happening, that's where she brought in uh, the outside consultant and she went uh, building to building to try to you know, buck up, I think, the stress level that was being felt with a lot of staffs at our properties. And to, to her kudos, um, we retained, I think, a lot of our leadership that whereas I think other uh, companies had lost a lot with burnout through the, um, the COVID years. Yeah, and I, we were gonna. I, I had this on the agenda to talk, to talk about a little later, but I, I guess it's a natural segue to talk about staffing burnout. Seems like it's something that could happen from the top all the way down. Um, so, like we we've heard that it's been difficult to retain and recruit across the board. It seems to be a nationwide thing. So, how much did burnout affect communities during like during the pandemic and and in recent months? And how are you combating that? How are you recruiting and retaining? Yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're going through every uh, outlet we can. You know, we're, we're looking at $1,000 or more sign-on bonuses uh, for direct care workers, 2500 to 5000 on nursing staff. We are sourcing all the usable possibilities. We, early on, we went to mobile app applications so that it was a quick turnaround. We reduced our application paperwork to the minimum amount so we could uh, get as many applicants to, to sign up with the least amount of hassle. Uh, mm. We have a retention program. We have a mentoring program. We also are doing something called a We Care program. And this is something that's kind of recent. And we're looking at the whole person that we have, not just uh, the eight to five. So um, one of the things that is near and dear to my heart is sort of financial uh, acuity. And um, I think maybe that's a, a separate section we can talk about. I don't know if now is the appropriate time. Yeah, let's not. do it. Absolutely. All right. All right. So this is something that we're basically uh, accessing an online bank. It's called Varo Bank. They have the first uh, national association bank for an online banking company, but they really support financial uh, training, education, and acuity. So uh, they're working with us to have our uh, uh, staff, uh, we're rolling this out for our, our complete staff to have an online account where They'll be uh, able to have a direct deposit from our company for wages every two weeks. They will then be able to put that into a checking or savings account, be able to swipe it over to a single card for debit, cash advances, or for charge card usage. So you could be at, say, a Target uh, location, 
see a, a bike that you'd like to buy for your child and you'd be able to swipe over from your checking account right into your mm-hmm. charge card and be able to swipe it at the counter and purchase it and thereby always being able to establish credit for every purchase that you make. That's and interesting. Never, never overdraw. So it's not only a credit establishment, it's also credit rebuilding. And so they have another whole program that they have when you have those cards called Viral Believe. And that is a way to establish credit for our uh, staff. The last thing, and I'll just leave this, is that they also offer 5% interest on their money up to the first 5,000. Nobody offers that. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just a tremendous program that I'm supporting that says, you know, we've got all these things that we're doing. We also have wellness programs and classes that we offer for physical exercise and well-being, and also working with outside consultants for other items for our staff. Yeah, and you, uh, you and I spoke about the Varro Bank opportunity and setup before. That's of course available at seniorhousingnews.com. I think we wrote about it maybe a month or two ago. And what I find really interesting about that is it seems like the security that one would get at a, at a nine to five with the salary and benefits is not always available to certain members of your staff. But by doing this, you're, you're kind of creating a little bit, not necessarily of just money, but of wealth and of something that you can carry with you and with your name. And you said it's near and dear to your heart. So is that true? Is it become kind of like a financial benefit beyond just money? And then why is it near and dear to your heart? It's near and dear to my heart because I think that it's hard when you're working from paycheck to paycheck to establish credit, to put aside any money for future emergency funds. It's just so many expenses that people in their 20s and 30s, which is the majority of our caregivers, uh, are challenged with. We're also doing things where um, between paychecks, we're putting together committees at our properties of our staff. The staff has to contribute a dollar of their paycheck, and then they're eligible for short-term loans that is authorized by a committee of their peers that our company is funding. And I, I think that, too, is addressing the, the needs and the, the realities of what it's like to live from paycheck to paycheck. So, you know, it's more about how to um, help our struggling caregivers and their families to establish a life that is probably stronger than what um, mm-hmm. it would have been without coming to Heritage. Yeah, I think that hopefully you can, if, if you participated in the program as an employee, you could draw before and after. Should you leave uh, Heritage, you can say, well, it got me this and this got the ball rolling and now I'm, I'm, I'm significantly financially, more financially healthy than I would have been. So before we talk about the care continuum and, and challenges in mem- memory care, I want to ask you uh, along the same lines as, as Varro Bank, the technology that's being implemented first during the pandemic as a bit of a band-aid to make sure things could run. And now uh, some of these things appear like they're, they're here to stay, like robots and different uh, softwares and, and telehealth and whatnot. So I wanted to ask you uh, two things. How do you feel about the rise of technology? And secondly, do you think that any of this is perhaps uh, over the top, overblown too much? That's a really good question. I, I do think that uh, technology is here to stay. I think that there's a lot of products in the marketplace. And the question is, mm-hmm. uh, are we jumping too soon to buy the latest uh, flashy item? Or is, is it something where uh, the system will flush out? I know that early on, you know, there was something like, oh, we could have bought eight or nine items, but I think uh, uh, over time, some of these are merging together so that one item will handle five or six different tasks that used to be separate different items, if that makes sense. But yeah. 
I do think technology makes it, it easier. I, you know, we're looking at uh, abroad how uh, uh, robots are being brought into areas where they're already challenged more than we are with staff, Japan, Switzerland, places like that where they're in Israel, where they're actually using robots, I think, to do a lot of things that um, hmm. staff used to do. And also, I think the robots that I'm seeing are identifying health risks early on as other technology tools, cameras in the rooms, sonar in the rooms that can identify fall risk, uh, identify a risk that maybe is not even seen or known of, particularly in our memory care areas. Memory care residents don't tell us what's wrong. So if we can see this, we might be able to identify a uh, fall risk or, or identify patterns where a UTI might show up because of the sonar and usage of, of the facilities there that might not otherwise be known. It's, it's just, I think it's a game changer uh, over time that's going to really bring in a lot of things into our properties to make our residents safer and avoid, I think, emergency uh, admissions in hospitals and also avoid uh, delays of treating things that we would not otherwise have known. Yeah, that's a perfect thing because I, I wanted to keep transition into memory care know that memory care seemed to be perhaps the hardest hit in terms of day-to-day operations of uh, when the pandemic happened because socialization and routines and things are disrupted for for the sake of pe- of health and safety are there residual challenges uh, what is the s- situation right now in memory care are we back to normal and how are you dealing with the the new reality and are you back to the old reality what's going on in, in memory care well first off memory care is near and dear to my heart my mother bless her soul, lived to be the ripe old age of 99. Oh, wow. Was living in um, one of our uh, buildings in uh, Monona, Wisconsin, um, the last uh, five years of her life. And I got to see firsthand uh, the devastating effects of what Alzheimer's um, uh, does. And for me, uh, a win was always to see my mother and put a smile on her face. And the days that I got her to laugh with me really was a home run. So it's very personal to me. I think that through technology, we're bringing uh, new tools in to make the lives of our uh, memory care residents richer. We have three different um, things that we've done that I think are unusual. One is called Map Habit. Map Habit is a program that we've uh, added on to all our caregivers' cell phones where we uh, provide a detailed history of our residents so that we have, unfortunately, more turnover of, of staff in some of these units that may not know our resident as well. So this way they can access the history of that particular resident, patterns that that resident has throughout their lives of when they get up, when they might have sundowners, maybe they go to the milk the cows in the afternoon. So then they know that at three o'clock, maybe there's an agitation and something they might do differently for that particular resident. It's such a great tool to give more person-centered care, which I think is so important, particularly in memory care. Yeah, and you know, recently we had a conversation with somebody in the higher acuity space that said the length of stay in assisted living has, has fallen. And I think this is kind of along similar lines. And one of the reasons for that could be that uh, seniors and adults are entering the care continuum when they become more higher acuity. And do you think that if that's the case, if someone enters the continuum at higher acuity and, and transitions from assisted living perhaps to memory care, if that's what happens, is that a negative for that person? Would it have been better to be in active adult, quote unquote, or, or independent living or, or, or be there longer than just a few months at the end? What do you make of, of the, the care continuum right now? Uh, great question. I 
think a lot of it is kind of up to the families and the individuals what's appropriate for them. I I do recommend to many friends of mine uh, that ask me, you know, what would you recommend? When is a good time to actually sit down with your folks and suggest maybe it's time to think about either moving from the, the, the single family house where they may have a lot of fall risk going upstairs on a, on a second floor to living in an independent facility where there's more socialization or moving to an assisted living place where you have all the meals made for you. I mean, I know with my mother, with her memory care, it was a few years, one or two where she just said, you know, I've, I've done giving up making, making meals, you know, as a, should have been more of a wake up call. She forgot how to make the recipes. You know, but again, I think that the socialization we offer in assisted living and then the meals that we provide and identifying fall risks and other items that are removed when you move from a a two story home, um, remove where, you know, it's just you living in that home and friends have to come over. It's more isolating for a lot of, I think, those that are of that age that they don't have that that option that you have in an assisted living. Uh, environment. Yeah, I, that that makes sense to me. And I think if you, it, it just seems interesting that making the argument to people to do it at a younger age when they're healthier can kind of set up a safety net. And I think that like the pitch of that and the sale, like the sales pitch and the story that you're trying you're trying to tell, must be kind of a delicate balance between you definitely don't need this, at all, but you 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 might one day. So how do you like what is your, your, your story that you're telling to people um, when they are kind of dipping their toe in the water for, for themselves or a family member and thinking about entering a, a senior living community? So what I am saying is that it's easier to move your loved one, most likely your parents or friends of your parents, it's easier to move them before they need the care because they're probably younger and they're not as set perhaps in their ways to to Mm -hmm. resist the move. I'm not saying that clearly, but I guess what I'm saying is, is that by having your parents or your loved one come and see an environment that is not a nursing home, that it's uh, an assisted living or an independent living, I think that there's a lot of negative understanding of what that might be like. Show them a meal, uh, see how other friends can be made even on the tours, we have a lot of our residents come up and talk to our new prospective uh, families and talk about how, you know, they came in here and now they play, say, cards every week and they've got a set of friends. I, I just think that this aspect of socialization is, is difficult when you are alone and not uh, having that s- uh, social support network. Yeah. So I guess um, if you wait till someone is needs-based, it just everything is going to be a little bit more burdensome on them, I suppose. Burdensome. And I think it's, um, you kind of miss that social support you might have built up if you were there three mm-hmm. to six months earlier. Um, sure. The Blue Zones uh, book that uh, is, has been written about the, the six to eight areas around the world where people live the longest and the healthiest one of the biggest factors is the support of socialization. Interesting. It's like a community. Exactly. So if yeah. you can establish your community before you're perhaps progressed further down with a higher acuity, I think you have more of that support network and perhaps delay some of the acuity that might otherwise occur by the isolation that you don't have um, when you come into a system. 
Yeah, that I mean that stands to reason. It makes sense to me. I I, I forget where I read this, but I th- I think it's it's really telling that the most intense form of punishment that the incarcerated experience is solitary confinement. That we're such social creatures that the worst thing that you can do to someone is isolate them, which is just really kind of chilling when you think about it. Nick, Nick that is chilling. I, I did not know that. It's super interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's really kind of, I, I, when you think about that, we need each other so much that we're willing to, we, we will figure out a way to have friends, even if the people that our neighbors are, you know, some of the most violent criminals in the world, it's still better than being by ourselves. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Absolutely but speaking true. of establishing community, I want to transition and talk about uh, heritage and where you see opportunities for growth and how you feel about the market right now. So I guess I'll just start by asking, do you have anything in the pipeline? Are there any future growth that uh, you could be coming down the pipe in the next um, six to 18 months? So we actually doing a, a corporate strategic retreat to identify um, some of those areas that we're looking at. We have looked at uh, certain areas where there may be uh, growth opportunities as well as acquisitions. So right now, at this point, we're just looking at options and have not identified a particular one. At this Do point. you think the current market favors acquisition over development? That seems to be the prevailing sentiment, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it does. I think that the high cost of, um, of construction costs as well as the uh, higher cost of accessing funds with interest rates are getting up to the point where perhaps if you can identify a good acquisition that's already up and running, that's stabilized versus having to go through your lease-up process, high interest rates, having to fill it. Now you're still competing with other existing properties that have to fill and, and, and recover from COVID occupancy issues. It really leans towards uh, acquisition more than new construction. Having said yeah, that, yeah. having okay. said that, I do think that new construction, by the time you get approvals, and get your plans um, bid out and together, you're probably two and a half to three years out before you occupy. So you have to be thinking, forward thinking what uh, three years out might look like. Yeah, and I guess everybody, the entire world thinks that, you know, the secret is out, that a recession is on the way. We've got interest rates uh, rising. It seems like the inflation either has to be just crash or perhaps it's going to keep going. And how difficult... Is it to do that? I know that you know 2008 is, is fresh in everyone's mind as these kind of dark clouds loom. Is is there are there any lessons to be learned over from what we experienced economically from COVID or or the financial crisis of 2008? And how do you how do you navigate this kind of weirdness that we're in right now? Well, I think it's uh, it's an unknown factor. You know, you have to mm-hmm. kind of go by past history. I think that the a crash in 2008 you know, dealt a lot with mortgages and interest rates. This is not a crash dealing with that. This is, mm. I mean, if you look at what's happened with the stock market and, and the amount of uh, money that the government uh, flooded the market with to stimulate the economy, you know, it, the idea that a recession or even a pullback is only natural at this point. Sure. So I, I think that, uh, you know, it's natural. I don't think it's going to be. In my estimation, uh, anything like 2008, I think it'll pull back. Uh, if it's managed gradually, I think it could be a very good thing. I think that uh, inflation and prices and product, products have gone up, uh, I think, in excess of what they would normally have been uh, due to COVID. So yeah. some of the construction prices, I think, are already coming down. And I think in six months to nine months, we'll see a better 
value for uh, the construction costs. So sure. we're looking at that as not being a long-term effect. Yeah, I guess um, it's sort of like a forest fire out west, right? Where uh, the trees burn down and then you've got some nice soil and things can, can sprout up out of them. Yeah. With inflation and labor and all of this, expenses are indeed rising. So we're, we're, we're covering here at Senior Housing News a lot of operators shifting from an occupancy focus to a margin focus. So could you talk about how Heritage is managing the current climate? Uh, how are your expenses trending? And what's the, uh, what are the biggest two or three pain points for you guys? I'm glad you brought that up because um, that's all we've been focusing on in the last two months was margin uh, compression. So first it was the occupancy. Now we've got occupancy rebuilding. Uh, some buildings we are at 100%. Some we have a long ways to go. So it's uh, real estate is localized. And even on one side of town versus the other side of town, we're seeing uh, a disparity. But the margin compression is real. So during COVID, we had some buildings that had a discount in rent. Now our street rents are back up to where they should be. But we've also noticed that we've had a, an existing population that has considerably lower rents than our current street rents. And so Part of it is an income uh, repair to our income side of the business. And then on the expense side, largest expense, of course, is uh, salaries. And primarily, we're looking at nursing and caregivers that have gone up dramatically. So what's happened is those expenses have gone up much more dramatically than we anticipated. Our revenue side has been reduced because of discounting and uh, the ability to try to get more occupancy and not raise our current residence rents. So we're needing to catch up on increasing existing residence rents at the level to compensate for the increased cost in not just products and PPE and food, but also my, uh, primarily in salaries. And so it's, it's going to be a catch up that we're not going to make just in the first year. It might take two years to actually repair that margin mm. uh, compression. Yeah, that, um, it's kind of interesting because the labor crisis seems to be a bit of an unpredictable thing that has happened to everyone. And, and because of inflation and because people want more money, and seems to be collectively agreed upon this, uh, expenses rising. And it's, it, does, it seems to be national. And of course, at SHN, we cover the, the industry from coast to coast in Canada and parts of the United Kingdom and in Europe. And we're seeing this in the US. But I want to know regionally where Heritage is, which is in the northern Midwest, is it the same? Do you think it's different? Are there advantages or different advantages in your regional and hyperlocal area for with regard to staffing and then just expenses in general? I can't speak uh, how we um, actually measure up to the rest of the world. So it's, I'm a little more focused in the Midwest, but I do know that uh, depending on what city we are, you know, our, our caregiver rate can be as much as uh, a $4 per hour difference just from uh, inside of the uh, borders of the state of Wisconsin depending on what location we're looking at. So wow. again, it's a very localized market. Some markets are just so, the unemployment rate is, is phenomenally low that it, you, know, you have to keep raising and raising and raising to try to find uh, caregivers. Uh, and of course, you know, it's not all about the dollars, but it is about um, meeting the market. And we've yeah. had to continually raise our, our offering to, to meet that market. 
that uh, yes, it's it's really kind of strange times with regard to you know, management's relationship with with labor, and it's something that we're covering very closely. Um, but as we as we wind down our conversation, and I appreciate you joining, I have a couple more questions. Anything that we can uh, you want to talk about? What Heritage is going to be up to over the next year? I know you're kind of observing the market right now with regard to growth. Do you have any initiatives you're talking? You'd like to debut or talk about here? What's the next twelve months look like? So I think that our memory care program is really uh, a solid program. And we have some unique things that I think are, are bringing us an increase in that occupancy level for our, our properties. We have, as I said early on, three items, map habit I talked about. Delhi is a sonar system that is out of Sweden that actually identifies not just the, the living space, but we can also identify what happens in the in the uh, toileting and restroom area, which is, I think is an advantage over the cameras. And we're identifying a lot more medical conditions and identifying uh, the falls where they occur uh, and keeping people out of emergency rooms. And I think that that uh, is a real advantage for safety for our residents and their families. The last one is a, a system we've hooked up through the toilets called Trulu. And that is a, hmm, a system. What a great name. Price. Have you heard that one? No, I haven't heard of it. That's a great name for the product. Yeah, T-R-U-L-O-O. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it's actually a, a system that looks at um, what is actually going into the toilet, you know, urine and the consistency. Um, it's analyzed so we know when it is, what it is, and identifies medical conditions that we would not normally have notified, uh, been noted, been noted about. So... I just think these other tools that we're adding is making a uh, thing that it's identifying uh, items that would not normally be known to us without these uh, technology and the, and the things that we put in. I guess uh, the more information you have, the quicker you have it, the better outcomes are for the resident slash patient. I mean, at the end of the day, these, these residents are patients who are dealing with either dementia or Alzheimer's disease. And I think that's a really, really good to prioritize them. Okay, last question. I've been in the industry for now seven or eight months. I'm a bit of a noob. And I find that um, everybody here really passionate about it and constantly recruiting. So I wanted to ask, when you break away from the, the industry and you're with your friends or your family or perhaps a class reunion, what's one thing that you want everybody to understand about the industry that perhaps people get incorrect? Uh, one thing, sort of the elevator speech. Mm-hmm. If it helps, you can imagine we're having cocktails or brunch or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to say that there's one thing. I I guess the one thing that I would say that's been tremendously supportive during the last two and a half years is the step in of the government and the funding that they provided. Uh, Many nursing homes would have gone out of business. Uh, Many assisted livings could have gone out of business. And I think without the support of the federal programs with let's say the, the Biden administration, as well as Congress during this time, it's really been helpful to keep uh, our businesses afloat. We've had uh, such a, uh, first off, it was a, a drop in occupancy and the break-even point was well past during the first six months of, of COVID. The rebuilding of that uh, to get occupancy back up took a year and a half and it's still continuing. Uh, then you still have the problem with the margin compression. So I don't know. That's just one thing that is, mm-hmm. has really kept us afloat during this tough time. And I, I'm sure other providers uh, have had the same thing. And without Argentum uh, as a national presence for us, 
and what they've done with lobbying, I think we could have been much worse off. So I have to give kudos to the National Organization of Our Gentlemen, what they've provided in helping us to, to provide for those funds. So yeah. that's just one item. I think that the other item that talks about what senior housing is, is that these are robust lives that uh, we are lucky to have uh, our residents and what they share with their caregivers and the caregivers share their lives with our residents. I just think that the socialization between those two groups, how the families come in and participate, uh, this is the this is not the nursing home of 20, 30 years ago for assisted living. It's, it's a whole different ballgame. And we're evolving as the uh, home of choice, I think, for seniors. And there's just a robust lives that are, are, are going on daily in, in our residents' homes. So I just think that that's the big picture, I guess, I'd like to share. Mm. Well, Milo Pinkerton, you said it all, and we appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day uh, to talk with us. You are the CEO of Heritage Senior Living and I, someone we're going to keep an eye on, maybe some uh, some growth to report on in the next couple of months and, and hope you and yours have a happy and safe holiday and a safe summer. And again, thanks so much for, for coming on the uh, Transform Podcast, Senior Housing News. Nick, thanks for having us. We really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. And that's a wrap on this episode of Transform. I would like to again mention all of our coverage at seniorhousingnews.com. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever podcasts are found. I'm Nick Andrews for Senior Housing News. We'll see you next time.